Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. I'm excited about our broadcast today. I want to thank you for joining us. We're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit and family life, and the title of today's show is How Chastity Education Might Harm Your Teen's Moral Life. I better repeat that because somebody was just scratching their ear thinking they didn't quite hear through the radio clearly. How chastity education might harm your teen's moral life. Today's broadcast is going to sound a lot like our broadcast a couple of weeks ago. And the reason I'm doing this is I'm coming back to these truths because I'm trying to communicate something different than what most parents and educators are imparting through chastity education. In a certain sense, we need to renew our minds And to renew your mind, it doesn't usually occur when you just hear something once. It really has to be drilled in and repeated until you grasp it. And what we want to do today is the basically the precepts and the truths that we went over a couple of weeks ago, we want to now apply to chastity. In other words, how the Holy Spirit is going to be central to teaching chastity to young people. But first, let me just set the landscape here. And the landscape regarding chastity in Christian young people is simply it's not working. Millions of 20-year-olds, and I would say both Protestant and Catholic, who were exposed as teens to Christian chastity education have fallen headlong into the sexual revolution's ethics. The majority of couples coming to the church for pre-Cana are living together. And to me, uh, maybe I'm getting too old, but they don't even blush when they list a common address for a pre-Cana program. Things have changed. Statistics show that very few Americans are waiting for marriage to have sexual relations. Are you ready for this? 93% of 18 to 23-year-olds who are in romantic relationships are having sex, according to the National Longitudinal Study of Adolescent Health. Now, for conservative Protestants, and I am not aware of Catholic studies that basically distinguish young Catholics who are from for a better word, a conservative or an Orthodox Catholic family home, and I'm not aware of the surveys that would break them out with, say, a liberal background or those who attend Mass irregularly. So when I identify conservative Protestants, I think those statistics are roughly equal to what would be happening with conservative Catholics. And here's the stats. In young conservative Christians— who are having an active relationship and also are active in their faith, almost 80% of them are having sexual relations outside of marriage. Now, that's better than the wider public, which is averaging about 93% of those who are in romantic relationships are having sex, 
But when 80% of conservative Christian youth who are dating are having sex, this is a colossal, colossal moral failure. And, you know, there's multiple causes for this. Uh, A cultural collapse has a whole lot to do with it. But even some of our efforts are only minimal. We really need to think what are some other resources we could bring to bear in trying to encourage a chaste life in the lives of our young people. One of the things that are very popular are chastity pledges. Now, there's nothing wrong with chastity pledges. I have done uh, chastity pledges with my girls. And, but what they have found is that they only work for a time. They are effective in delaying the age of sexual activity. And specifically, uh, girls who do not take the chastity pledge, on average, the median age for having sexual relationships is 16.7 years old. Girls who have taken the pledge, the median age for sexual activity is 19.9 years. So what the pledge did do is successfully delay that median age by slightly more than three years. But most disturbing, Christian youth who have taken chastity pledges are six times more likely to engage in the widely publicized sexual activity of one of our former presidents. Six times more than the Christian youth who don't take the pledge. And I think there's something here that you need to hear me very, very carefully. Simply abstaining and repressing is like pushing something down. You don't want that behavior. But unless there's some kind of internal change, it pops up and sometimes in more frequent immoral behavior. And so simply repressing without an internal change or simply giving information to the head isn't necessarily doing what we want to see done. So what's the answer? Uh, Double up on the same type of chastity talks and efforts? (laughs) Well, if this isn't working the way we want it to work, then simply doubling it up isn't necessarily a logical answer to what we want to do. So what's the answer? More theology of the body books? We've got a lot of them for teens and young people. Um, But that doesn't seem to be doing it. Uh, More chastity experts saying just say no. Um, That doesn't seem to be working uh, by the millions of young people once they hit their 20s. More explicit sex education. I think those who know me know that that's not the answer. So where should we look uh, for an answer? And this is where I think a lot of Christians, and I've been a Protestant for 20 years and a Catholic for over 20 years, that the first place, very often, it's, it's interesting, pastors, priests, and parents seem to look first to psychologists. And kind of, I'm talking about when they're talking about teens or teen or 20-year-old chastity, that's the first place they look. Now, I'm not against that. I'm a member of the American Psychological Association. I've studied psychology 
There are very important insights from psychology, but also to really understand human behavior deeper than the emotions and maybe deeper than the the conscious mind and one of the insights of modern psychology that there are things deeper that that what uh, Freud called the unconscious that motivates us, but you really go even deeper to the very heart of the issue. And that's where theology can offer information to pastors, to priests, and to parents in trying to reach children. And I'm not saying theology versus psychology, but I would say, why don't we reverse the primacy and see what psychology may have to offer specifically as it applies to youth and trying to live a chaste moral life in today's world. And specifically, (laughs) there's one New Testament author that I would really encourage we take a look at, and that's St. Paul. Uh, First off, he wrote 25% of the New Testament and two-thirds of all the books that are in the New Testament. So that should be a good starter right there. But specifically, after Christ ascends into heaven, the the post-Easter and Ascension Church, St. Paul, more than anyone else, provides the most guidance on practical Christian living in a pagan empire. Now, you may disagree with me on this, but I personally believe in the modern world, we're again living in a pagan empire. And so to go back to the first century, to St. Paul, the one more than anyone else in the Bible provides the bulk of practical theology for living in a pagan empire, why are we neglecting him? I mean, he, he helped converts live a successful Christian life in the midst of a pagan culture. He can do that for us today. And wouldn't it be wise to consult St. Paul what to do to foster teen chastity? So let's just imagine that uh, as parents, we had just a very brief chance. You know, it was one of those five-minute meetings, but we could meet St. Paul and ask him one question. And I know there's a lot of people contacting the Family Life Center. Uh, what, what do you have to help with teen chastity? So what if on our brief meeting with St. Paul, we had the opportunity to ask him this question. What is the key to my teen or 20-year-old living a chaste moral life? What should be primary? What should be focused on? What do we want to think about first of all and most of all? And St. Paul, I believe, quite strongly, would give a three-word answer, not complicated. And his three-word answer is basically neglected in many modern chastity talks, chastity programs, chastity books, and chastity audio messages. Isn't it interesting that the man with the most, and in my opinion, the best practical advice for living the Christian life in the midst of a pagan empire were kind of running off to here and there, and this expert, that expert, and somebody has a master's degree or psychology degree. St. Paul has revelation from God 
and he would have a three-word answer to the key, what the thing that should be primary for your teen or 20-year-old living a chaste moral life in a modern world. So you tune in next week, and I'll tell you, no, I'm not going to do that. What are those three most often neglected words? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is utterly essential to living all aspects of Christian ethical living. And hear me, it is impossible to live the Christian life without the Spirit of Christ. Let me say that again. It's not just difficult, it's impossible to live the Christian life without the Spirit of Christ. But what happens? So often we give youth rules and principles to follow, but we don't emphasize the Holy Spirit and dependence upon God's grace. And what we're basically doing is asking them to live the Christian life without the Spirit of Christ, because by neglecting it, we're just putting them out there on their own, and they're stumbling by the tens of millions. Now, what really happens when you try to live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit? Paul is as clear as could be when he wrote to the first Roman Catholics in the church at Rome in his epistle to the Romans, chapter 7 and verse 5. And this is one Boy, I hate to say write this down even if you're driving, but maybe pull over and write down Romans 7, 5. And then once you're reading Romans chapter 7 and verse 5, you'll want to read some other verses around there. But this is so essential because some major mistakes are being made by good, well-intentioned people trying to help young people live a chaste life. But this is what St. Paul says. While we were living in the flesh, that's our existence apart from Christ and his spirit. Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members. You see, when you simply give the law, the rules, the list of things to do, when you are not enabled by the spirit, it has the unintended consequence of stirring up sinful passions. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. Paul goes on to say, if it had not been for the law, I should not have known sin. I should not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, finding opportunity in the commandment, wrought in me all kinds of covetousness. This is why my title today is How Chastity Education Might Harm Your Teen's Moral Life. Because trying to get teens to live the moral life without emphasizing the necessary dependence upon Christ and his spirit, you actually can end up stirring up the very behavior through your instruction or your talks or whatever you're trying to prevent. You're, make, you're making the situation worse. And here's Paul talking about this internal conflict in us. He goes, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, 
but I do the very thing I hate. I can will what is right. I can make a pledge, but I cannot do it. I cannot do it, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. What happens? Well, this is where we need to flip to St. Paul's companion book on the same topic. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. Now, I hesitated to ask you to pull over before for Romans 7.5. This is one I'm asking you to pull over for. I'm very, very serious because this is how young people, Catholic and Protestant, are messing up their lives and how even the very things we use to attempt to get them to live a moral life can be actually making the situation worse. So what do we do? What's the key to this? And this is Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, St. Paul said in Romans 7, you know, if you just kind of have the law rule-keeping, and then you, with well-intentioned, willful effort, you try to live it, it, it seems to actually get worse. It stirs up the very thing you're not wanting to do. Whereas in Galatians 5.16, he says, if you walk by the Spirit, in other words, your course of life, your entire Christian life, and including your entire Christian ethical and moral life, is one you're living in harmony and empowered by the Holy Spirit. When you do that and your focus is on that, what happens? You do not gratify the desires of the flesh. When you focus on the desires of the flesh, make it a law, and by yourself, basically, or at least through neglect, uh, give the impression that young people are supposed to do this themselves, they're set up for a fall. Whereas you tell them about the Holy Spirit, and Christ actually wants to indwell them with the Holy Spirit, give him his very life, and simply depend on his life, that's how you live in such a way you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. He goes on in the next verse, Galatians 5, 17. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. See, there's a problem inside of us. And this problem is very clear in theology. It's the problem of the remnants left in us uh, as a result of our original sin. Now, we're forgiven and cleansed of all that, but we have these rumblings, these conflicts within us that the desires of the flesh basically are stronger than our will. And when our will tries to uh, basically put it down, it pops back up. And just a real short Old Testament survey, I just gave it to you. That's the Old Testament. Trying to live the moral religious life uh, apart from the graces of the new covenant, and you get in trouble. Your nation's destroyed, your people fall into immorality, and gaboom, you can't live it by yourself. You're prevented from doing it. Now, but if you are led by the Spirit, 
you are not under the law. See, there's a, there's a whole different realm of living the Christian life. It's not me by myself trying to keep a list of rules. It's Christ living within me, teaching me how to love him, and empowers me to do that. Now, it's very interesting. St. Paul says, now the works of the flesh are plain, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, anger, uh, party spirit, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. That's what happens when you work at it really, really hard by little old me, myself, and I. This is what happens. The works of the flesh are plain. The works of the flesh, religious effort without the Holy Spirit, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, uh, carousing, drunkenness, whatever, you can't just say no. That doesn't work. But you say yes to the Holy Spirit. Yes, God, take over my life. Yes, God, empower me. But the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the Spirit, I mean, they are the works of the Spirit, but this is a contrast. The striving works of the flesh result in fornication, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful gentleness, and self-control. And this self-control of the passions is not the result of abstinence and self-effort, but it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the new covenant way to control the passions. It's the result of the Holy Spirit. And <laughs> rather than giving a list of rules and vices, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but the emphasis front and center, the main point is living life in the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit living within our hearts results in holy living. And I'm thankful I'm on the radio right now, so I'm going to say that again and catch my inflection. The Holy Spirit living within our hearts results in holy living. That is the secret to living the Christian life, including the moral life in the entire New Covenant. That's the secret. And we're keeping the secret a secret. It should be the most common thing. That, oh, they're going to talk about that again. That's okay. You want to pray for your kids to have the fullness, the, the full life in the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, there's two places that speaks of this great miracle. One is in the prophet Jeremiah, where he prophesies a new covenant. And the other one is in Ezekiel 36, where God says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I'm going to take out your heart of flesh, your old heart. I'm going to take out and give you a new heart. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You see, it's the internal empowerment by the Holy Spirit is the key to new covenant life in Christ. That's it. And when we start with the grace of God and our baptism and graciously receiving Christ's sacraments, and then we kind of give the impression, now the rest of it's up to you, kids. Uh, no, no. We start with Christ. We start with grace, 
And then we continue. We walk by grace. We walk in the Spirit. We don't go off then by ourselves. This isn't a one-time deal. We are alive. We are joined. We are in covenant, just like a branch is in a vine. We are in union with Christ, and he wants to give us his Holy Spirit each and every day, not just during Mass and church services and such, all our life, particularly on Saturday night if you're a young person. And a second and third generation Christian, as I mentioned last week, may have been baptized in infancy. And St. Augustine emphasized the need for those embers, those fires that were given in baptism. They need to be actualized in the life of a young person. Like St. Paul, when he wrote uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, St. Paul said, rekindle the gift that is within you. The key for chastity is the Holy Spirit, and you don't need to go off halfway across the country or on a mountaintop or read some 500-page book. It's in you, and you just need to ask God to bring it to life. Okay, there's another translation of that same verse, 2 Timothy 1.6, fan into flame the gift of God. That's the name of your chastity retreat. That's the name of your chastity talk. That's the name of your chastity book. That's the name of your parental talk with your young people. This is the key. This is the key. And chastity information by itself is not transforming or empowering. The Holy Spirit is enabling, empowering, and energizing. This is good, good stuff. And ask your teen who's been to a chastity conference, how much was said about the Holy Spirit last weekend? Or ask your children, what can you tell me about what you know of the Holy Spirit? Or even better yet, mom and dad, ask yourself, what can you tell me about the Holy Spirit in your life? Fan into flame the gift that has been given to you. Just saying no will not do it, but saying yes to the Holy Spirit is the secret to being able to live the Christian moral life. That's the Spirit of Christ motivating us and empowering us to live as Jesus did. You've been listening to Faith and Family, episode 18, and I must say, I just enjoy to no end sharing the truths like this that come from us from the Holy Scriptures. Until next time, this is Steve Wood with Faith and Family, and if you want to see more of what we do, visit us on the web at familylifecenter.net. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.